Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our sermon series from 1 Samuel, A Personal God. We hope that this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. And uh, we're going to get right back into our study uh, of the book of 1 Samuel and understanding that God is a personal God. And uh, we won't take long uh, uh, reviewing this morning, really just want to kind of jump right in the message. But just to kind of get us all on the same page, let's review just a little bit. Let's remember some things, okay? Uh, first of all, the book of Samuel, written, uh, we, I believe, by Samuel uh, up until his death. Uh, but when you look at the book of 1 Samuel, Samuel was the last of the Judges. Uh, the book of Samuel would cover the last period that would really follow the book of Judges. And we know the book of Judges ends with every man doing that which was right in his own eyes. And then God would bring on the scene in 1 Samuel chapter number one. He would bring on the scene a young man by the name of Samuel. He would be the last of the Judges. Well, if you go and you begin reading the story, you discover that God was working in the people of Israel. God was doing a lot through Samuel, even during his early days. And uh, um, we'll see his testimony again in just a moment. But as time progressed, the people of Israel, we saw a few weeks ago, they demanded a king. They said, Samuel, we demand a king. We want to be like all the other nations. Give us a king. And, and they got ahead of God. And uh, they kind of said, God, we know that one day you're going to give us a king, but we want one now. And you'll remember that God had to come and he had to comfort Samuel and say, Samuel, the people aren't rejecting you. They're rejecting me and my leadership. However, Samuel, I'm not gonna quit on my people. Aren't you thankful God doesn't quit on us? Man, I'm so thankful. My wife, uh, last night we were talking with the kids and she reminded us of the verse, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Man, I'm so thankful that God never, never quits on us. Well, in 1 Samuel, he didn't quit on the people of 1 Samuel. He didn't quit, quit on the people of Israel. He said, I know you want a, qu- a king and so I'm gonna bring you the right leader. And he brought them the right man for the job at the time. His name was Saul. He was a humble man. He honored God. He loved the Lord. He revered God. He wanted God to uh, be first place in his life. If you'll recall, when Saul was anointed king, he stood before Samuel and said, I can't do this except God do it through me. And Samuel reassured Saul, hey, listen, God will be with you. A new spirit will come upon you. God will strengthen and guide you. And man, if you remember, Saul started out good, didn't he? Man, Saul started out leading God's people, and he started off uh, with that victory over uh, the Ammonites. You remember Jabesh Gilead and the Ammonites came up against them, and, and we learned the lesson that we're better together, and that was a lesson the children of Israel learned. And, and then Saul would go on, uh, 1 Samuel chapter number 12, uh, Samuel would remind the people and Saul, hey, keep God first, keep moving forward, and God will work in your life. And the people, along with Saul, their mindset was, all right, we've got this, we're going to move forward. We're going to keep following the Lord. But then you come to 1 Samuel 13, 14, and 15. And that's where we were at last week when we saw that Saul's pride caused him to blow it. His pride caused him to blow it. Well, how? Because his pride, it drove his decisions. He, He now was making decisions based upon what's best for me rather than what does God want. His pride drove his decisions to become irrational and irresponsible decisions. 
We saw last week that his pride, it distracted him from seeing God at work. Remember that victory that God used Jonathan for? And, and the people were like, man, God hath wrought a great victory today. And Saul's mindset, 1 Samuel chapter number uh, 14 and verse number 24, I think, or, or 25, somewhere in there, uh, Saul said, no, I need to be avenged of my enemies and you will serve me. And he, he was blinded. He was distracted from what God was doing. Why? Because of his pride. And the same is true in our lives, that sometimes our pride causes us to miss what God is really doing in our lives. Pride drove his decisions. It distracted him. His pride, it destroyed his relationships and destroyed his influence. Remember that? Last week we talked about it, how his pride destroyed his influence in the people and it destroyed his relationship with Samuel and his relationship with Jonathan. And pride does the same thing in our lives. It pushes those closest to us, it pushes them away. Did the same thing in his life. Well, it drove his decisions, it distracted him, it destroyed his relationships and his influence. And then we saw last week, last, we saw last, last week, that pride, it caused Saul to devalue his own life. What we meant by that is that Saul basically said to God, God, I place more value upon me than you do. God, I'm worth more to me than I think I am to you. And pride caused him to devalue his life. And because of this, because of Saul's pride, we find that Samuel comes to Saul and, and God through Samuel says to Saul, I've rejected you. You're no longer gonna be king. As a matter of fact, I've chosen someone different to lead my people. All of that has just taken place and that's where we come to our portion of scripture in 1 Samuel chapter number 16. But before we get to the passage this morning, I want to ask you, if you've ever noticed how everybody views things differently, it's called opinion. Everybody has a different opinion. My sister used to have an, have a, an opinion. She did have an opinion, but uh, she had a poster on her door as you entered her room, and it was of a gorilla, and I remember this gorilla. The gorilla was pointing the finger, and it was a legit picture, and on the picture it said, if I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. And that was my sister's entrance to her room. If I want your opinion, this gorilla's there. If I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. Man, everybody sees things differently. We have different opinions but I also want us to understand that everybody just views situations and opportunities differently. For instance, viewing things differently, an artist, Hannah's an artist. Hannah can look at a canvas, a white canvas and paint, and she can see something amazing. I will look at a canvas and paint and think, nothing. <laughs> I'm like, there's a blank canvas and some paint. I don't, I, don't view, I, don't, I don't view it like she does. Uh, Brian and Micah and Rebecca and, and many others in our church are musicians. They could look at a, at a staff on a sheet of paper, on a music sheet of paper, and it's those little lines, you know? They could look at all those little lines, and they could look at it blank, and they can envision a, a song and words to go with the music. And I would look at it, and you might look at it, and we would see lines. A coach. A coach can look at, a, at, a, at a, a whiteboard with a basketball court or a football field. And a coach can look at it and can see in his mind what play he's going to draw up when someone who's not a coach is going to look at it and just see a blank whiteboard. 
You see, what are you getting at, Pastor? Everybody views things differently. But what I want us to understand this morning is that we're going we're to take a few minutes and realize that just as people view things differently, God views things entirely differently. God views things differently than any one of us. And this morning, we're going to see and understand that God, he sees things that we cannot see. He views things differently than we view them. And specifically, God views situations differently than we view them, and God views people differently than we view them. And those are two specific things we're going to see out of our passage in 1 Samuel chapter number 16. And so I want you to read this with me. You can read, uh, follow along in your scripture or on on the screen. And we're going to go through these verses together. 1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning in verse number one, we read this. And the Lord said unto Samuel, how long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel, he said, how can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take an heifer with thee and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord and call Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show thee what thou shalt do and thou shalt anoint me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake and came to Bethlehem and the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, comest thou peaceably? And he said, peaceably. I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, Because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called Aminadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by. And he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, the Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel, he said unto Jesse, are here all thy children? And he said, there remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, send and and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. And he was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Again, this morning, we're going to take a few minutes with these 13 verses, and we're going to recognize that God, he views situations differently than we view them, and he views people differently than we view them. And this morning, my prayer and my my challenge to you as we get going is by the end of this message that you and I would just have a simple, heartfelt prayer to the Lord that says, God, help me. Help me this week 
to view my situations and to view people around me how you view them. Help me not to look through these different lenses we're going to see, but God instead, help me this week to see how you see. Let's go to the Lord in word of prayer and, and then we'll get into the message this morning. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you take a minute and just commit the morning to the Lord. Ask God, God, would you please speak to me? God, would you please speak to me? And then would you make a, make a commitment? God, if you speak to me today, I'm listening to you and I'll respond to you. Dear Lord, we come before you. We thank you for the day. We thank you for the word of God. Thank you for uh, the message that you have before us this morning. And I pray, Lord, that as we come to our time in the word of God, uh, that you would use it to speak to us, that you'd help us. I pray, Lord, that you would grow each one of us today. I pray, Lord, whether we're here in person or we're online, I pray that you would captivate our attention. And Lord, that we, for the next few moments, would just be dialed in to your spirit and to hear what you want. I do pray, Lord, that if there's someone that does not know you as Savior, that you would help them this morning. Uh, to come to know you as Savior. We love you. We thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you come back to 1 Samuel chapter number 16, we come into our study again. We find ourselves at a time when God has made it very clear to Samuel that Saul has blown it. God has said to Samuel at, at least three times, I've rejected Saul. But we actually discover at the end of, or excuse me, in chapter number 13, we find the very first time the Lord said this to Samuel. Notice, if you will, chapter 13, what we read. 1 Samuel 13, verse 13. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For, thou would, uh, for now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Here we find God through Samuel telling Saul, hey, listen, I have chosen somebody else to lead my people. And this is the very first time we read this phrase, God saying, I have chosen a man after my own heart. I have chosen a man after my own heart. We're going to discuss that saying a little bit later on in our series, but suffice to say, here's what that simple saying means. To be someone after God's own heart means I'm someone who, am con who is continually pursuing the heart of God. That David was one who continually sought after God's heart. Hey, I want God's mind and God's heart and God's will. And if you look at the testimony of David's life, David's life could be summarized by a man. He wasn't perfect. He didn't always do right. He was one who had his sin, but he was a man who always sought after God's heart. That's what that phrase means, to be one who seeks after. This is a man after my own heart. So this is going to be David. David, we know, and, and you and I, if you've, if you've read scripture at all, you know about David following Saul and him being the anointed one. But as we come to this passage, we find out for the very first time, if you were a, a first-time Bible reader, you would come to 1 Samuel 16 not knowing not knowing who this person is. Who is this one who is after God's own heart? Who's going to be the future king of Israel? That's where Samuel was. Up until 1 Samuel chapter number 16, verse number one, uh, Samuel did not know where this next king was coming from. God had not showed it to Samuel yet. God had simply showed Samuel, hey, I have chosen somebody and I want you to trust me. But that person is not someone I'm going to reveal to you yet. 
Well, we come to 1 Samuel chapter number 16, and God reveals to Samuel who the person was. And as a matter of fact, the person that was chosen, this young boy, David, he's somebody who was chosen that you would never expect. You would never expect David to be the king. You would never expect the king to come from the little town of Bethlehem. You would never expect a king to come as the eighth eighth son of a man named Jesse. You'd never expect that. And yet we're going to see today that God sees things. He views things differently than we see them. As we look at our passage this morning, I want us to see again those two thoughts. God views situations differently than we see them. And God views people differently than we see them. Notice, if you will, first of all today, that Samuel, as we approach 1 Samuel 16, Samuel saw fear, but God saw opportunity. Samuel saw fear, but God, he saw opportunity. In 1 Samuel 16, again, we need to recall what just took place. Samuel, or excuse me, Saul has blown it. And 1 Samuel 15 ends with this verse. 1 Samuel 15, 35. It says, And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. And the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. I want you to focus in on that phrase that Samuel mourned for Saul. Samuel, he was heartbroken. He was heartbroken because of the decision that God had made to move on from Saul. I want you to think with me very quickly about the disappointment that Samuel was facing. The disappointment that Samuel was facing. If there was anybody who had invested into Saul's life, it was Samuel. Think with me about Samuel. Think about some things that Saul and Samuel had been through. It was Samuel who anointed Saul. It was Samuel who God said, hey, Saul will be the one to reign. It was Samuel who taught Saul how to lead. It was Samuel who taught Saul about the Lord. It was Samuel who preached messages to Saul. It was Samuel who worshiped with Saul. I mean, you can go back and, defy, and, and discover that uh, when you found Saul in Scripture after 1 Samuel chapter number 7 and 8, you found Samuel. I mean, they did life together. They pursued enemies together. They worshiped together. They sacrificed together. They learned together. They taught together. Man, Saul and Samuel, they were together. And if there was anybody that was invested into Saul's life, it was Samuel. And so when you come to 1 Samuel 15, 35 and 1 Samuel 16, 1, and we see the disappointment of Samuel, uh, uh, can, we, can we judge him for that? No. No, we can't judge him for that. We can't say, well, how dare you be heartbroken? How dare you be disappointed? I mean, think about it. Uh, Samuel's thinking, I have poured into this young man and all of it was a waste. And here he's discouraged. And we find what the Lord says to him in 1 Samuel 16, 1, when the Lord comes to Samuel and he says, hey, how long, how long are you going to mourn for Saul? seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. That's an interesting thought. Why why is God saying this to Samuel? Why is God, if you can look at this, God's correcting Samuel for his discouragement and his disappointment. Oh, I don't think we can judge Samuel for being disheartened and and disappointed. God doesn't correct him. Hey, I'm coming to get you. You shouldn't be disappointed. No, God's saying, hey, how long? 
are you going to be disappointed? Hey, how long are you going to mourn? Samuel, he, he was looking at this situation and he was looking at this situation through the lens of, of disappointment. He was looking at it through the lens of, of disappointment. I can't believe, I can't believe that this is happening. But God, God was looking at it through the lens of opportunity. You see, here's what God came to Samuel and said, hey, Samuel, I'm not done yet. Hey, Samuel, how long are you gonna be disappointed because I am not done yet? So the Lord comes to Samuel with that question, how long? How long? You know what I find interesting is that this question is posed to this incredible man, Samuel. Think about who Samuel was. Think about what Samuel's history was. Samuel, he was raised in the house of God. Samuel, he literally heard God speak verbally. Samuel, he knew God in a personal way. He knew how to speak to God, and he knew how to speak for God. One of the greatest testimonies that was given to Samuel is 1 Samuel 3.19. Listen to what is said about this man, Samuel. It says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. Now, we read that and kind of think, well, what's that mean? He let none of his words fall to the ground. Do you know what that means? That means that every single time Samuel spoke, God used his words to minister to people's hearts. Yeah. I, I have on my thing, man, what a testimony. I would love that to be said of me. But you and I both know that's not true. Because I know I've preached some duds often. But man, when I read that, I'm so convicted. Man, as a pastor, I want that to be said. You know what? When Pastor Dennis speaks, his words don't fall. God uses them. I pray that that's Micah's concern and Micah's request when he starts Ridgepoint Baptist is God, help everything that I say to be used of you to work in people's hearts. Man, that was Samuel's testimony. Every time he spoke, his words were used. And yet, this great this great leader for God is being corrected with those two words, how long? Samuel, how long? How long are you gonna be led by disappointment? Why would God say this to him? Here's why, because God came, hey, how long, seeing, how long are you going to uh, mourn for Saul seeing that I've rejected him? Hey, how long are you going to push my plan down the road? Hey, Samuel, I'm still in control of this. Hey, Samuel, I still have a plan. Hey, Samuel, I'm still working. Hey, Samuel, I want you to understand you're looking through the lens of disappointment, but I am looking through the lens of opportunity. Samuel, he saw through the lens of, of disappointment, but God saw through the lens of opportunity. Samuel was fixated on Saul. He was so disappointed, and that disappointment was literally hindering him from moving forward for God and God was seeing opportunity for Samuel and for Israel, but all Samuel saw was that disappointment. Can I tell you that sometimes we view our circumstances through disappointment just like Saul did? Sometimes we look and we say, I'm so disappointed in myself or I'm so disappointed in someone else. And that disappointment literally blinds us and stops us from seeing that God is opening some doors. Disappointment hinders us from moving forward 
for the Lord. Sometimes we view our circumstances just like Saul viewed his through disappointment. We're reluctant to move on in our Christian lives when we're disappointed. You know, we're reluctant to move on when we have disappointment in people. Has someone ever let you down? Oh, yeah. And what does that disappointment do? Man, that disappointment weighs on us, doesn't it? Uh, listen, I can really, I can really uh, um, find myself bound to the idea of Samuel's disappointment. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? Because as a pastor, I know what it's like to pour in and pour in and pour in and pour into somebody to see them just turn around and stab me in the back. I know what it's like to pour into somebody and invest in somebody, lead somebody to the Lord and see them get discipled and see them grow only to see them going online to blast Moses Lake Baptist Church and Pastor Dennis. You say, Pastor, are you telling us that so we'll feel bad for you? No, I'm telling you that because I can line myself up with Samuel and say, dude, I get it. Samuel, I get it. You poured into somebody, and you know what happens when the next person comes along? You go, I don't know if I want to do that again. I don't know if I want to invest in another person again. I poured into them, and they hurt me. I don't know if I want to pour into them. That's where Samuel is. He's viewing his circumstances through that lens of disappointment. And that disappointment is stopping him from seeing the opportunity that God has for him. Samuel saw disappointment, but God, he saw opportunity. Hey, how long? Can I ask you that this morning? How long are you gonna let disappointment in somebody else stop you from moving forward for God? How, listen, How long are you going to let disappointment in yourself stop you from moving forward for God? Because we do that, don't we? Man, I I messed up again. I blew it again. I can't, and we get disappointed in ourselves. And when we get disappointed in ourselves, we do the same as when we get disappointed in somebody else. We let that stop our growth for God and our forward motion for God. Can I tell you this this morning? If you are struggling, you're disappointed with you and, and what's taking place in your life, Can I just remind you that God is a gracious God and he's not done with you? He looks at your life and you look and see disappointment. God looks and he sees opportunity. He says, hey, I can just, I can keep working with this. Hey, I'm not gonna leave you, forsake you. I'm not done with you yet. Hey, I, I I know you made some mistakes, but you repented. I forgave you. Now move on. Now let's move forward. Man, we can view our situations through the view of the lens of disappointment when God views it through the lens of opportunity. Hey, how long? Samuel saw disappointment. God saw opportunity. Notice secondly with me this morning, Samuel saw fear. God saw provision. Samuel saw fear. God saw provision. So God comes to Samuel. Hey, how long are you going to mourn for Saul seeing that I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? Notice then what Samuel says to God. Verse number two. 1 Samuel 16, verse 2, we read this. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. All right, now, we may not catch this over a casual reading, but I want you to understand this. Verse number 1, God, I really want Saul to reign. I I can't believe it. I'm so disappointed. Hey, Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for Saul, seeing I've rejected him? Go anoint the next king. God, how can I go? 
Saul's going to kill me. Do you get that? Do you get the, I don't know, two opposite ends of the spectrum there? Right? Verse 1 is, I really want him to be king. Verse 2 is, he's going to kill me. You know, it's, you know Samuel's viewing the, the situation now? He went from disappointment. Okay, God, I see you're still not done with this. But God, how can this be? How is this going to happen? He's not in a, in, a, in a state of doubt. He's not even in a, in a state of God's strength in my faith. No, right now he's blinded by the lens of fear. God, if I go... Saul is going to hunt me down and kill me. You know he's been driven by pride. Samuel knew he had been driven by pride. And so Samuel's saying to God, God, you know this. If I go, he's going to kill me. And Samuel, he's looking now through the lens of fear. I'm afraid of what Saul will do to me. He's fearing for his life because of Saul. But then notice what God tells Samuel. 1 Samuel 16, that should say 2B. It looks like 28, but it's not. The second part of verse number two, it says, And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. Verse three, And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do, and thou shalt anoint uh, uh, unto me him whom I name unto thee. You know what God does with Samuel right here in our passage is God says to Samuel, Hey, don't worry, I've already got a plan. Hey, 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 Samuel, listen. This isn't catching me by surprise. I know Saul's violent. I know he's acting in pride, but Samuel, you can trust me. Samuel, I am still in control. God not only saw opportunity with Samuel's life and with David and with the people of Israel, but God had already set up the provision. He had already provided a way that that David would be anointed king and Samuel would have protection. He's saying, hey, I've already made a way for all of this to work out. Samuel, stop worrying and living in fear. I've got this. You see, God already had the details worked out. He was just waiting on Samuel to follow his plan. God was calling Samuel to live by faith and to trust his plan and his provision rather than living by uh, or being controlled by that fear. And I want you to notice in our passage that God gave Samuel just enough information to help Samuel just take the next step. He didn't say, hey, go to Bethlehem find Jesse, find his youngest son, David, anoint him, and then in about 10 or 12 years, he will actually reign. He didn't tell Samuel all that. He just gave him the next step. But fear, fear is what held Samuel back. It was was that lens that he looked through at his situation, and often fear is what holds us back. But God desires that we would see things through his lens of provision. You say, what do you mean by that, Pastor? God desires that you and I would look at our situation and understand that he's in control and I can trust him. He's already provided and I can trust his provision. And then God, he proceeds to give you the next step. You see, that's how God works. God provides us with enough enough information to take steps of faith, not leaps and bounds of faith. Think of it this way. Those of you that drive, maybe you're driving on the highway. You're driving at night. When you're driving down the highway at night, you're driving down the road at night, do your headlights show you the route from your car all the way home? No, your headlights give you enough light to just keep moving forward. Right? 150, 250, 300 feet, whatever it may be. 
however bright your headlights are. It gives you that much. It just gives you a little bit more to keep moving forward. You ever been driving on a pitch black night out in the middle of nowhere and turn your lights off? How many of you have done that? Y'all are crazy just like me. Listen, I've done that before. We'll be driving. I remember we were driving to men's retreat one time, and I was driving the van in a, the deep, that thick forest that we go to uh, back there by Yelm. And as we were driving through the, the thick forest, I remember I turned those lights off and back on right away. I didn't leave them off very long because when I turned those puppies off, you couldn't see at all. But I turned them back on. You know what? It didn't show me all the way to the campground. It just gave me enough information so I could keep moving forward. That's what God does in your life and my life. He shines enough in the future, he shines enough in the, in the uh, decisions you need to make, gives you enough information to help you just keep moving forward. Do you know what he's saying? Hey, quit looking through your lens of fear and understand that I've provided. I've given you provision. I want you to ask the Lord this morning to help you. God, help me not see through fear, but instead that lens of faith and provision, knowing that you're in control. Samuel, he saw through disappointment. He saw disappointment. God saw opportunity. Samuel, he saw fear. God saw provision. But I want you to notice thirdly that Samuel, he saw appearance. God saw character. Those first two dealt with the situation. God saw opportunity and God saw provision. These second two deal with people. What, what are you talking about, Pastor? Here, Samuel's looking at people through appearance while God is looking at character. Notice, if you will, as we continue in the passage, uh, we can go to verse number three, and we won't read all of it. We already read it for time's sake. But when you go to verse number three, we find God giving Samuel a plan. Hey, Samuel, I want you to go to Bethlehem. When you get there, call the whole city to sanctify themselves. Uh, when this would take place in the Old Testament, this would mean for the city, for the people of Israel, they would understand, hey, God's about to do something. And the, the, the uh, connotation of Scripture, it kind of leads us to believe the city knew that Samuel was, he was coming, and so they, they approached him, and they say, hey, do you come peaceably? He says, peaceably, sanctify yourselves, and tomorrow we're going to meet. In other words, hey, you guys prepare yourselves because to, tomorrow God's going to do something big here. And uh, I believe just through the connection of Scripture that the people knew that God was probably going to select the king from their, from their little town, that they knew what was going on. They kind of had an idea of what was taking place. And so, <coughs> excuse me, Samuel, he calls together Jesse. He says, hey, Jesse, the whole, listen, this is the whole town, not just Jesse's family. The whole town's coming out to sacrifice. Jesse, get all your sons. Bring all your sons out. And so Jesse gets seven of his eight sons. And what happens? The passage would insinuate that Jesse and the village, they come, and in verse number five, they kind of know what's going on. And as you come to verse number six, you find the eight sons of Jesse beginning to pass before Samuel. And notice what we read. Verse Samuel chapter 16, verse number six, it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab. Samuel looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. He saw Jesse bringing Eliab to him, and, and at a distance, he said, that's him? God, you were right. He's, he's a stud. This guy's the man for the job. I mean, look at him. He's, he's a good-looking guy. Look at the stature that he has. Man, look at the muscle on him. Look at the, he, he certainly could fight. Man, look at, he is a king. He just has the presence of a king. He's walking like a king, and, and Samuel's looking at the appearance of him. He's saying, wow, this has got to be him. But notice what verse number seven says. It says that the Lord says to Samuel, hey, that's not him. 
That's not him. What do you mean, God? What do you mean it's not him? And God says, hey, look not on the countenance nor the height of his stature because I've refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord, he looketh on the heart. What's God saying there? He's saying, hey, I don't look at the externals and the exterior. I look at the character. I don't look at the outside. I look at the inside. God was saying, Samuel, he may look the part, but you don't see people the way I see people. I look at what's on the inside. Now, I want us to see this today, that this is still true in 2020. God still is concerned about the inside. He's concerned about the character. You know, all too often, we like to focus on the externals while God focuses on the internal. You say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? You know, we get caught up on seeing the outward, and we think, wow, they really look like they could go somewhere for God. We think, maybe we'll look at somebody, and we'll think, wow, look at how athletic that person is. Think about the influence they could have if they got saved. We look at people, and, and we think, man, that kid is so smart. There's no telling what he could do with his brain for God. That was never really said about me, just so you know. We think, wow, they have a lot of influence. God could definitely, he definitely has something in store for them. Or, or we think, man, look at, how, look at how sharp they look on Sundays. They must be really spiritual. We think, man, they can really perform. Look at the way, look at the way they preach or they teach or they sing. Or look at the way, man, look at the way they conduct themselves. And we look at the outward. And you know what God's looking at? He's looking at character. I mean, isn't that all over the New Testament? Really, it's all over the entire word of God, but it's highlighted specifically in the New Testament, the four gospels, when you look at the Pharisees. Because all of the people of Israel and even the Gentiles looked at the Pharisees and thought, wow, now there is somebody I wanna follow. And God, Jesus came along and said, man, you're whited sepulchers. You look nice on the outside, but on the inside, you're filled with dead men's bones. You're just like a tomb. You look good on the outside, but on the inside, death. There's nothing there. Well, why? Because God looks at the character. He looks at the heart. Let me tell you this morning that we get it wrong. It's carnal thinking to look at the outward appearance because the word of God says the exact opposite, doesn't it? 1, Samuel, or 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29, for you see your calling brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things that hath, uh, which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. What's being taught in 1 Corinthians? Hey, you don't view things the way God views them. Can I tell you this morning that I think when we get to heaven, we're gonna be surprised at seeing who God was really using while we were here on this earth. It's often not going to, it's probably not gonna be the people that we assume it is. Why? Because God looks at the character. He looks at the motives that are driving your actions. He looks at why the person does what they do. He looks at the heart. 
And God really uses those who seek after him. Samuel, Samuel was looking through the lens of disappointment. God saw opportunity. Samuel was looking through the lens of fear and God, man, he saw provision. Samuel was looking at appearance. God saw the character. But I want you to notice lastly with me today, not Samuel, but Jesse. Jesse, he saw the youngest, but God, he saw potential. Jesse saw the youngest, but God saw potential. So here is Samuel with Jesse and all those sons come before him, Eliab, Abinadab, Shammah, Nethanel, uh, Radiah, Ozem, and Elihu. All seven brothers, they all come before Samuel. And every one of them, God says, no, 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 no. Seven times. Nope, not him. And God tells Samuel, there's none of these. And Samuel says to Jesse, hey, uh, do you have, you got any other sons? Notice what Jesse says. 1 Samuel 16, 11. Samuel said unto Jesse, are here all thy children? And he said, yeah, there remaineth yet the youngest. Yeah, I got one. He's the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. Now, again, at a first glance reading, this would probably not mean much to us. But really, here's what Jesse's saying. Yeah, yeah, I got one more, but you don't want him. Yeah, I got one more, but he's the youngest. He's keeping the sheep. It's not him. It's got to be one of these guys. That's Jesse's mindset. But Samuel says to Jesse, bring him before us. I want you to think with me about Jesse. Why was Jesse thinking through this lens of, well, he's just the youngest. Well, it's not him. Can I tell you that this would have been common for the society that they lived in? I mean, here's Samuel. He wants to choose a king. And Jesse's thought is, it can't possibly be David. Jesse's thought is, he's the youngest. He's the shepherd. I mean, think about this. God had said, bring the whole town. And everybody from the town is there, seemingly, except for one person. Who? David, the youngest, the shepherd. He's the one that people are like, oh, yeah, it's not him. Don't worry. He can, he, someone's got to keep the sheep. You know, someone's got a miss service to be in the nursery. That's kind of what the thought is. Aren't you thankful for nursery workers? So here they come. They're, they're there. Jesse's whole house was there. Everything is set up. But David, he's an afterthought. He's an afterthought to Jesse. But you know what? God, he saw potential in David. And so David comes before him. And I want you to notice verse number uh, 12 and 13, they're not on the screen, but here's what it says. He sent and brought him. Now, he was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance. You know what that means? He's just a good-looking redhead. That's what this was. Ruddy means red-haired. He's just a good-looking red-headed kid. And he was goodly to look to. What's that mean? Yeah, there was nothing, nothing that stood out about him that you'd think, oh, oh, man, look at those teeth. Oh, I don't like it. Oh, look at that. Eh, you know, there wasn't any of that. He had a, the, the beautiful countenance means he had a, a easy complexion to look upon. So he's just a good looking redheaded kid, nothing, nothing major that stood about him, just, oh yeah, there's a, there's a 17 year old. It's kind of that. That's what Jesse knew. That's what Samuel saw. But notice what God sees. Look at verse number 12, the end of it. The Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Can I tell you this morning, God sees what could be not just 
what is. God sees what could be, not just what's there. Jesse saw the youngest shepherd, and Samuel looks and just sees a a good-looking red-headed kid. Nothing stands out about him, but God looks and says, he's the one. He has potential. He's the one that I'm going to work with. He's the one that I'm going to work through. And Jesse was looking through that lens of hierarchy of, of David's the youngest. It can't possibly be him, but God. God was looking at what what could be and what was going to be. You know what? Had Jesse just taken a few minutes, had he just taken a few minutes to review his his nation's history, he would have been reminded that God doesn't view people the way you and I view people. I mean, let's go all the way back to Abraham. Abraham had two sons, Ishmael, the oldest, and Isaac. And who did God choose? Isaac. Who did God use? Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob. Who did God use? Jacob, the youngest, the one that would not be expected. Jacob, he had uh, many sons. And you look, and God didn't work or come through the line of Reuben or Simeon or or Levi. No, the fourth one is the one that Jesus came through, the tribe of Judah. And in that generation, it was the 11th son that would have been used, Joseph. So all that Jesse had to do was to look back at his history. And if all of those things weren't enough, Jesse could have just looked in his own family. You say, well, what do you mean his own family? Jesse could have looked at his uh, great-grandma. Who was his great-grandma? Oh, she was a Moabite woman. Her name was Ruth. Maybe you've heard of her. She wasn't even of the people of God, and yet God used her in the lineage of the king. And if that wasn't enough, you could go to his great-great-grandma. Who was she? Oh, she was just a little lady from Jericho. Her name was Rahab the harlot. An unlikely person that people would say, no, God will never use her. And yet God, he views people. He sees what could be, not what just is. Can I tell you this morning, we never know what God could do through someone who we would least expect it to happen through. Throughout history, this has been God's MO. This has been how God has worked as he has not viewed people the way that we view them. We we may look and we see appearance and God sees opportunity. And we look and we see the youngest, but God sees potential. So you go and God sees David as that great leader that he could become. And we read that in verse number 12 and 13, he was anointed. Verse number uh, 13, he's anointed. The spirit comes upon David from that day forward. We'll see more about that next week. And Samuel rose up, went to Ramah. But in all of this, can I just tell you this morning that God, he sees things extremely differently than we see them. God views situations and people differently than we view them. He views our situations differently than we view them. God views your family differently than you view your family. God views your coworkers differently than you view your coworkers. God views that annoying neighbor differently than you view that annoying neighbor. God views your friendships differently than you view them. Can I tell you, God views COVID-19 differently than you and I view it. I heard a pastor this morning, I was listening to another message, and he said, could it be that God allowed this spring season to be shut down to focus your heart on him? Could it be that God has allowed COVID-19 to shut down all the distractions of sports and entertainment and work and hobbies and friends and camping and fishing and golfing and all of that? Could it be that God allowed this to happen so that you would say, man, I realize that I need God. 
There's a lot of things happening in my life and I've pushed God out. Well, why would we say that? Because we know that God views things differently than we view them. So today I want to encourage you to ask God, God, will you help me to see through your lens? Instead of looking at your situations through disappointment and fear, see them as God sees them. Something that is opportunity. Something that had already, already has provision. God is already in control. And God, God's gonna do something great with this. Today, instead of looking at people through the lens of appearance and what is there, see people as God sees them. Man, there's no telling what God could do with them. There's potential in him. Man, there's no telling how God could work. I, I, don't, see, I don't see the youngest. I see potential. And God, help me not to see appearance. Help me to see character. God, help me not to judge people by what's on the out. Help me, to, help me to understand and look at what people are doing and the consistency of their life. Help that to speak into my life. And so today, I just wanna encourage you to make this decision. God, this week, help me to view my situations and the people I come across as you view them. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.